Today on episode number 308 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Dr. Ryan Strait is here to share about EdTech's role in helping students feel engaged, safe, and productive. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak. And this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Today, I am joined by Dr. Ryan Strait. He's an award-winning educator, writer, and researcher. He currently serves as an assistant professor in the College of Applied Science and Technology at the University of Arizona. He is co-program director of educational technology and teaches in the Applied Computing and Cyber Operations undergraduate programs. He also teaches an annual freshman seminar, Cyborgs and Transhumanism in the Honors College. Ryan has many hobbies, but his main interests are photography and body modification. He lives in Tucson, Arizona with his wife, Adriana, and their three dogs, Sophie, Menchi, and Chewy. Ryan, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you for having me. I have a confession to make, and that is that when I first saw in your bio, and this was actually, we've been planning this for a while, haven't we? It feels like six years, but how long have we been planning on you coming on? Days are a few years long now, so it's... (laughs) It could have been last week for all I know. (laughs) So this has been going on for a while. And so I've seen your bio and and it said body modification. And I discovered through the magic of the Google, body modification has nothing to do, I think, with any of those things. Uh, I think it depends on how how tight you want to define it. (laughs) How would you define Um, it? I yeah, typically have, you know, tattoos and piercings and and things like that. But, you know, there's there's and again, this is just a, a thing that I'm interested in because I have a number of tattoos and whatnot. But one could argue that gastric bypass surgery or any kind of cosmetic surgery would fall under that category, mm-hmm. uh, even though you don't go to a tattoo parlor to get your band installed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that maybe butterflies on our ankles don't possibly, I don't know. I think, I think what implies from the art that I looked at from both your website that you have on the topic and also other Googling is that it's more than decoration there's a deeper meaning is that a fair interpretation i mean i I don't i don't really want to gatekeep that yeah i think if you want to get a a fairy tattooed on your ankle you are more than welcome and that that counts you know uh, but if you get a full body blackout that also counts yeah so you know i'm I'm less interested in kind of i got this tattoo to remind me of so and so and more interested in how does it work what are the deeper meanings behind why we do this in the first place? Not necessarily the meaning, but you know, as humans, why do we want to do these things? What do they mean ultimately? What do they mean now versus what do they mean 25 years from now? Uh, but it's really, you know, it's just a kind of a passion project yeah. for me, that kind of thing. Well, I enjoyed seeing that and people will be able to access the link in the show notes to go learn more about it too. I think it's worth a click as cool, someone who you. knows very little about this, other than what my <laughs> students tell me, because of course a lot of my students have tattoos. And so that I, I like to have conversations when they 
invite me to have them in my very clumsy ways. <laughs> I've been thinking about, and I know you have too, we've been working with a lot of faculty during this pandemic. And one of the analogies that's coming to mind is just that people don't feel like they have their sea legs yet for this medium or channel of communication of teaching and just yearning for something that they feel like they lost and could never get back again in any way, shape, or form. And so I'm excited to talk to you today. We're going to look at the approaches we can use to get our students who are meeting us in online places and how to help them feel engaged, safe, and productive. So let's start out with what might be possibly the hardest one. I don't know if you have a feeling on it, but I, I certainly hear from my faculty colleagues how difficult of a time they're having getting students to both feel engaged and therefore be engaged. What are some of the things that come to mind for you, Ryan, in that whole domain? I think a lot of it just, at least for me, and I, I can really only speak for myself, but I think it's it's a matter of presence. And I know that you've talked about this before, but also kind of the humanization of you as an, an aspect of that educational ecosystem, right? But the other part is the rest of that ecosystem. So if you have a classroom call it, you know, quote unquote classroom. And it's really just kind of a skeleton LMS thing where you have your syllabus and you have a couple quizzes and things like that. And everything else is being done via email, you know, really kind of formal emails and maybe the announcements option on the, on the LMS that I think kind of inherently has a, a distance, right? That, that transactional distance between you and your, and your students. And one of the ways to get around that I've found is to leave leave the LMS to deal with the management portion of things and bring the community elsewhere because that's where the engagement comes from. Yeah. I mean there is a certain amount I think that, you know, students will be engaged with the content if you are exciting or excited and the students are excited about it, you know, and that comes from a variety of different ways, uh, different variables that that play into that, but you have to be engaged first, I've found. And part of the problem, at least right now, with the giant, you know, I, I hate to say the word pivot, but the giant move to having to do everything remotely is that that's something that comes with time. That, that has to be kind of worked at and massaged and curated and, and thought of from the ground up as opposed to just, oh, here I have my, my PowerPoint and my lecture notes that I would normally do on Mondays and Wednesdays from 10 to 12, and I can just do those using my iPhone or something, and the students will have the same experience. And it's just absolutely not true. Part of that is the fact that you don't get to be there, right? I mean, that's, I love teaching in person, but I teach 99% of the time online, you know, and, and whatever that, the word teach there means, because it doesn't just mean that kind of transaction of instructor to student, it's the entirety of the experience. And when you're just kind of doing triage, which I know is I've I've been working with a faculty learning community over the past few weeks to help people make, you know, get over this transition. That's a word that I hear a lot, triage. Mm -hmm. You know, they say, we're not teaching. We're just triaging because it's, we have 600 students in this class and they're based on this, 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 and this. And it just, it's really, really difficult to make that switch. They say, once you can figure out how to do that, whatever that may look like, then you can start focusing, I think, on having that engagement there that maybe you wouldn't have beforehand. And that, again, a lot of it just comes from being you, you know, being present. 
I'm hearing two things. I'm actually hearing more than two things, but I don't trust myself to list more than two things for about well ever, but especially in recent days. <laughs> so I'm hearing <laughs> let the LMS do what it does reasonably well. And I know we have complaints, but let, let it do the yeah. job of managing things, which we can get more into. And then a second thing is presence. So let's start back a little bit with the conversation around the learning management system. What does it do reasonably well that you use in your classes? that wouldn't likely be done outside the LMS, it wouldn't be the best choice for people. Well, I, I think that LMS is a bit of a misnomer, generally speaking, because I think the one thing that they typically don't do very well is manage learning. So it's, it's more of a, I tend to see it as an organizational tool, an administrative tool to make sure that, you know, it's a system of record, the grades are there, the assignments are there, the quizzes are there. But I don't think at least with my style, <laughs> which you know maybe is not typical, but I don't think that you can really effectively teach through an LMS. That requires, you know, maybe maybe the LMS will change. You know, maybe the next generation will be much more comprehensive and, and cohesive, and kind of human focused. But right now, I just don't see that happening. And it's more, like I said, it's more of a place to organize things and point to other experiences rather than having everything right there. You just used for me, if I, if I were to think of a word that's coming up more than any that I really try to encapsulate into my guidance that I'm providing right now is helping people see learning as through experience. Mm. When I think about the courses that I've taken online that have just captivated me, they're wrapped around experiences. They're not wrapped. And, and the educators that I admire so much, they helped us have shared experiences together. So what are some of the ways that you help your students outside of the learning management? What are the approaches you use? And then how do we create a sense of experience versus attendance, participation, <laughs> et cetera? <laughs> well, part of what I do is, is use a, a variety of tools to, to help build that community. And kind of the number one thing that I want the students to do is be a person rather than just be a username, right? Because especially like in an LMS, it's either, you know, your user ID or your email, which is often just your user ID with your school after it. And those aren't people. Those are data points, you know, and you need them to be people and they need to see each other as people, as individuals, as more than just the content that shows up on the screen with their name before it. So, you know, engaging them in, in discussions and conversations and you know, do, using things like emojis and reaction GIFs and using what is available to communicate effectively amongst yourselves is incredibly important for that. Um, it also le lends to uh, a much more natural and kind of organic growth in the thought, in the discussions, you know, because things are happening much more naturally. I don't like the way that they typically will do this, you know, the discussion forums are usually had. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. It just doesn't feel natural. Nobody actually talks that way. Mm -hmm. you know? Nobody discusses things that way. If you're going out to a restaurant with some friends, you don't say, okay, we'll speak for three minutes and I'm going to speak for a minute. You know, like it just, people don't change minds and have good ideas that way organically in person. So why try to replicate that on the screen? What, tools specifically are you using to do that? I know that this will vary depending on what someone's university supports, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what are you using? Uh, we mainly use Slack. Um, I'm a big proponent of using tools in the classroom that if it's kind of a, a field 
particular thing. Like I, I teach design in some of my classes and, you know, I want them to know the Adobe Creative Cloud software and, and how to, you know, if we're talking about making videos, then, you know, here's, you have access to Premiere Pro. You should try to use that. Because if you go out in the real world, you know, after school and you get a, a job as a designer, you're making things or you're becoming a YouTuber or whatever the case may be, that is kind of the industry standard for that and whatever the field and the, and the topic may be. So we use Slack because a lot of companies, big companies, small companies, whatever, use it. And I think that will give you a uh, much less friction transitioning from this kind of, uh, you know, school environment into a business or, or whatever kind of environment. But it also, you know, I've had, I've had the good luck to have it funded. So we, you know, it's a paid thing. So we have something like 300,000 messages in our Slack team that we can go back through and search and all the classes are, you know, the discussions are, we're having are, are there and we can always go back and see what was that great idea that I had two months ago, you know, and you can actually easily go back and find it. But more importantly, it's a way to kind of have a home base, I think. Um, I've had students mention before that, you know, when they jump on the Slack team and they see a little dot next to my name, they say that that's very much like looking down the hallway where all the, you know, the professor's offices are and seeing my office door open, right, cracked open. And they know that, you know, I'm probably available and they can poke their head in and we can have a discussion. Um, and they really appreciate that. But it's also, again, it's a friction thing. It's We have it pretty tightly integrated uh, with the other systems and it's it's real easy to to jump in and start using but you know it's i understand that that's not maybe typical maybe yeah but there there are other tools to use instead yeah. yeah but that's the one that we i think this was 2016 that we started doing that yeah and it's I'll, just kind of grown and grown i'll post a link in the show notes about teaching outside the LMS, specifically mm. around how to organize one's Slack channels. And you could use that on other tools. I'm thinking about, I know there's been an increase in the use of Microsoft Teams. And mm. while if I were gonna do a showcase showdown, <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy what Slack has to offer <laughs> feature for feature, you know, there's things I wish I could bend the will of Teams to make it do. Mm. But if that's what your university uses, and if it's already baked in, and you know, it's gonna reduce friction for you, it's definitely an avenue you could consider and would bring some of the elements of something like Slack. And you also could take this advice from, ironically, the episode about how to organize a Slack-like tool and then use it in another one that you might already know or you might already be using or just to experiment a little bit in terms of that. But thinking about what are the strengths of a learning management system and then what are the weaknesses? And I couldn't echo more what you say around discussions it is not natural. That is not naturally how we talk. They're completely not excited when you see a prompt of like discussion board. It just it just brings up back all these bitterness from prior times when this has been used. I have mentioned previously on the podcast about taking a course for professional development that I took because I wanted to be professionally development and paid <laughs> out of my department's budget to take it. And then to have a 300 word count minimum. And I had to reply to three other people. I mean, it just completely made me just want to stop taking the class right there and ask for my money back. That's how strongly I felt about it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, could we go into these things imagining what it would look like if we thought that people actually wanted to learn 
in our classes. If we didn't just think they were trying to jump through every hoop they possibly could, but actually might be excited to learn. I was so pleased with my class that we just had a, our last official, official, you know, live meeting together and they wanted it to keep going. And could we get together over the summer and continue some of these conversations that we're genuinely going to miss each other? I mean, what a wonderful thing to experience and just be reminded of during this time. The second yeah, thing, a, by the way, that's a great feeling. That's yeah. a great feeling too. The yeah. second thing, by the way, was this sense of presence. So right. beyond the approach of thinking about what we might want to do outside the learning management system, what are some ways that we can be present for our students in online classes? Talking with them instead of at them, I think is, is helpful instead of, you know, kind of a, the email blast that is very impersonal, I guess, but actually engaging with them personally, which, you know, in a move to online, that can be difficult, especially if you have one of those, you know, you know giant 400 student lectures. Like that's, I don't have a good answer for that. I wish I did, <laughs> you know, but part of it I think is just just good pedagogy, just good teaching practice, just less focus on kind of the, the minutia of do you get a five points on this or five and a half points on that and, and focusing more on uh, the feedback and the engagement and starting a conversation when students, you know, turn in work that they're proud of or maybe not that proud of. You know, I think it's important that students understand that it's, uh, I've said this before, and, and I don't want it to sound like anyone should encourage their students to fail, but I think it's a, it's important that students understand that failure is a learning experience, probably the most powerful learning experience. And while nobody wants to fail, it can be huge, you know, and focusing on making the, the classroom, whatever that may look like, a place where that is a, a positive thing, you know, and I, I always struggle with how to with how to put that because it's you know, I, I've said it before, and I thought God, I think someone just thinks that I'm saying I want students to fail. It's it's not that, you know, uh, but it needs to be a, a safe place for experimenting and taking chances and having big ideas that maybe don't work ultimately. <laughs> I keep going and, back to Ken Bain's book, What the Greatest College Teachers Do. And he actually mm -hmm. has been on the podcast a couple of times before too. But that whole process of in your classes, if there's not an opportunity to fail, receive feedback, try again. I mean, we're not modeling what learning actually looks like. Right. We're not challenging them if they're succeeding you know, on every try that they have. And if there aren't opportunities where we can take those risks, that's really not a very good model for learning for sure. Yeah, and I, I often think of learning as a kind of a, a co-constructed state of being, right? That it's not just like we've, you know, like the traditional transactional model where it's, look, I did this thing. Great, you've, learning has occurred, you know. But between the student and the content and the instructor or the guide or whatever you want to call them, but then also the the experience and the the tools that are being used and the, you know, the technological ecosystem that all this is occurring in, all of that comes together and none of that can be discounted. And I do think that the, the technological mediation of experience cannot be understated, you know, the importance of that. I know we have to look at safety and productivity, but before we do, I just wanted to mention about discussion boards because I wanted to share one other idea that's a much smaller step than going outside the learning management system, which I've experimented with and really enjoyed. But if you're going to stay in the learning management system 
one way that I use discussion boards is not as discussion boards. They're really just a way, it's, it's like a grown-up version of show and tell. So if we're in the technology and leadership class that I teach, they develop a personal knowledge management model uh, and, and they can base it off of an expert's Harold Jarkies. So I've got a little PowerPoint template that try to smooth out all the friction for them. Just download this and then customize it. But some people really come up with the most amazing analogies. And then they I teach them how to save it as a GIF. No, not sorry, not as a GIF, as a JPEG. I just wanted to go back and affirm your choice <laughs> of pronunciation or, or a PDF or whatever, and then show them how they can embed that in the discussion board. How do you embed an image? And then so it really is like a whole thread that they can go through and see each other's work that they've been doing. And I don't have any points assigned to comment on anyone's. But a fair, decent percentage of them do. And you can tell that they're getting something out of that experience. And they're, they, they're a cohort system, so they already have these relationships. And I'll occasionally see that, more, more than occasionally, I will regularly see people commenting on each other's work, even though they don't have to, and gleaning ideas from it. And I just like that freedom of just assume that they enjoy being in community, assume that they see some value in learning from each other, and open up a discussion board to be more of a, hey, here's what I did. What do you think? And, you know, they'll post links and stuff and I teach them how to save digital bookmarks and all that. It works really well. So I'd encourage, you know, even just experimenting with what does a discussion board mean? And for me, it's one way of a tiny opening, a window where normally I'd be the only person that would see their submission. This is like a mini open education, you know, in terms of uh, if you didn't want to go all the way and actually have that in a public space, which the class does entail that as well. But for some of their assignments to kind of get them used to that experience of sharing their work, that works great. Yeah. And I think it lends itself to something that we, you know, I I think we all believe and all practice, maybe consciously or maybe without even knowing it, but that the pedagogy comes first, Mm -hmm. right? The tool is just a tool. It's what you're doing with it and how you're using it that's most important. But that's, yeah, I like that. That's I, I try to mirror something like that in my little ecosystem as well. And yeah, you see students just kind of run with it and you like, you know, you know, that there's no points and they're like, oh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, this is where, this is cool. This is fun. Yeah. And that is <laughs> what actual discussion sounds like. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. How do we keep our online students safe? And we have two minutes to do this in, so no pressure. <laughs> As the episode uh, it's, it's, winds down. <laughs> it's uh, it's an issue of literacy, mm-hmm. genuinely. Like it just, it really is. It's understanding how to read the internet, understanding how to read different applications and know when something is, maybe seems a little bit dodgy. It's, you know, even almost technically, you know, understanding how to read a privacy policy. You know, and, and there's others out there that are, that are way better at talking about this than I am. You know, I, I think of Chris Chilliard, for example. But for me, it's telling students, you know, this is what I tell you and where I, where I tell you to go, what I tell you to look at for the, you know, the content for this course, I vetted that. You know, that's, I will put my stamp of approval on that. But understand that the internet is a wild place. <laughs> you know, there's there's going to be a lot out there that maybe isn't associated with this or that I would not approve of. And, you know, you need to take your time, pay attention, and, you know, don't take unnecessary risks, which is maybe easier said than done. I also have evolved my thinking, you know, really through the podcast, just to have options for people who don't feel safe. So Mm. as a white woman, my experience on Twitter has been incredibly tame. I mean, just incredibly tame. And I, that is not everyone's experience there. And so I, I now 
always make sure that there are alternatives for people who are not experiencing that same feeling of safety that I am. But also, I also realize I could turn on a dime. So that could, that could definitely change for me too. So I'm wanting to, you know, lift up the practices that we can do to have a, have a healthier experience online. Uh, but yeah, it's tough. How about, how about productivity? You know, having, helping your students be productive online. Uh, again, I think it really comes down to, to the excitement. You know, if you, if you are there and you are excited and you are engaging with them, but most, most of all, staying in communication with them, you know, not ever letting it come down to, well, here's my one email check-in every week, you know, but like constantly being there and being involved and, you know, not to say that students should always be on, you know, or that you need to always be on, but it is a ride that you need to ride to the end, I think, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that makes sense. For me, when I think about people moving online and helping students stay productive, even more than usual, we need to break down assignments into smaller chunks. That's the technical term for it. So if you've got a capstone-ish looking assignment, a signature assignment, something at the end of your course, then what are these small things, small stakes that you can assign throughout the term and then those opportunities to give feedback, but that's going to help with um, them being able to be more productive, especially because many of our students now are moving from the in-person to the online. Perhaps they've relied on us as a literal physical presence to help with some of that motivation, encouragement, and communication. So we're making a big shift, but so are our students. So we can think about our deadlines. Also not having things do just once a week, but having it be, you know, some more check-ins along the way. But I also am much more flexible about deadlines and online courses within reason, by the way, because if it's a it becomes a snowball. Otherwise, if you're just completely like, oh, whenever you feel like getting it in, I mean, it can't be like that. But we need to have a, a different thought in terms of deadlines for online classes as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. One thing that I've been experimenting with is instead of deadlines, having cool down periods. So instead of saying this is due every Friday at midnight, you would say you can turn in up to 10 of these throughout the class, you know, whatever that thing may be. But then saying, you know, but you need to wait five days between submissions so you can do as you know as many or as few as you like but you have a a period of time where that has to cool down until you can do it again so that you know and then again you know the due dates are non-existent you know they decide what works best for them so it's it's been an interesting experiment so some students like it some students feel like they need a bit more structure than that so it's i'm kind of dialing that in yeah (laughs) I, I would think that the students in the undergraduate environment, actually, I'm going to go with doctoral as well, but just the deadlines help. Mm-hmm. But then I think you could maybe combine a cool down period with the idea of a deadline. Uh, sometimes learning management systems have where, you know, this is the due date, but then this is the last date. I'll accept something. The unfortunate thing, though, is that that date doesn't show up. It's like you said mm-hmm. it in the assignment, but it doesn't show up. But there's ways that you can, within your learning management system, add to a calendar. So mm-hmm. you could just, you have to make that more visible, unfortunately, in both the two that I teach in currently. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's, we have to, you know, we, the, the tools that we have, unfortunately, we probably have to work within those constraints. You know, but that doesn't mean that we can't get as creative as we want within those constraints. So if you can think of it, there's probably a way to make it happen. (laughs) Yeah, I feel so much like we're just limited more by our 
lack of imagination. I feel this very much for myself and I feel it for others as well, as opposed to that the tool couldn't be bended to make something work. So right. yeah, or I mean, get yourself another tool. But as you said, starts with the pedagogy and to me starts with that spark of imagination. Absolutely. Before we get to the recommendations part of today's episode, I wanted to thank today's sponsor and that is Text Expander. We are living in interesting times, are we not? And my thoughts about productivity have shifted quite a bit since all of this happened down to really some of just the core basics. And I'm not going to go into too much of that now because that's not the purpose of this message. But I do want to say that Text Expander was with me prior to all this going down and is still with me now and saving me time on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. Text Expander is technology that allows you to really easily create what they call snippets. You type in a few characters, you press the space bar, and before you know it, it expands out to whatever you've told it to expand into. It can be something as simple as a phone number that you forget or an email address just so you don't have to type it in over and over. And it can be something as complicated as a letter of recommendation or a a reference for a student where you tell it in advance, here's where I type in the name, here's where I type in who I'm recommending it to, and fill in the personalization, really spend the time on the personal part and less of the time on the administration and formatting, et cetera. So if you go to textexpander.com slash podcast, you can get 20% off your first year. Let them know that you heard about Text Expander from Teaching in Higher Ed. And again, it has just been an essential productivity tool for me. Saves me a bunch of time. And any time I spend even just a few minutes creating a new snippet, thinking of another way that I can use Text Expander, it continues to save me time. And by the way, I don't even have to come up with those ideas myself. They have a whole community, lots of sample snippets that you can download and incorporate and start using right away. It really is that easy. I want to again thank Text Expander for sponsoring today's episode and encourage you to visit textexpander.com podcast. This is the point in the show where we each get to give our recommendations, and I have a couple of lighthearted ones that involve some audio. So it starts out with a family who I have just become completely captivated with, I'm going to admit. So some of it I'm going to have to explain this to you because this is an entire family with a husband and a wife and three children. They appear to, I don't know the ages, but they appear to be around five or six and eight or nine and possibly 12. I I could be totally off on this, but a range of ages. And they are in um, lockdown. They're over in the UK and they have put together a performance of Les Mis. So I'm just going to play a little bit of it for us to get today. One day more, another day, another destiny. Shopping for online delivery. I'm trying again only to find there's nothing till September time. One day I had a football match today. How can I play when we are parting? One day more. Our grandparents are miles away. They can't work Skype. We're broken. So that's just a little look at some of the lyrics and I'm laughing at my lack of powers of observation because there are four children pictured here. And let's just say hypothetically, I may or may not have 
gone and done some in-depth research. So it turns out that the father, Dr. Ben Marsh, teaches at a university, the University of Kent. He's a historian. And I may or may not have created, speaking of imagination, Ryan, created a whole imaginary relationship that I have not just with him, but because like we can get there through the higher ed connection, but I really want to be friends with his wife because she's <laughs> hysterical in the video. The kids are priceless. I've created an imaginary friendship. And so I kind of want to invite him to be on the podcast, but like I don't, I have absolutely no way of knowing if he has like any, you know, I think there's a way, I think there's a way we could do this. But anyway, so I, I've kind of gone a, a, a while with this. I love it. You can't, watch that video and not walk away feeling very warm hearted. So that's my first recommendation is to watch the family's version of Les Mis, the parody. It is spectacular. The second one is quick. I don't even have her name. So I, I was following the guidance, which by the way, is going to be one of my recommendations. So I might as well weave my way in here now. So from Mike Caulfield, he is, has been on the podcast before. He is an expert in misinformation. And so his um, Sifting Through the Pandemic, SIFT is an acronym. And so one of the things he recommends that we do, the experts recommend, is you go back to the primary source. So I first saw this next video on Twitter, but the guy, it became just totally viral, but the guy's apologizing because it's not his video. So I guess this originally showed up from this woman's account on TikTok, but I was not willing through my research to actually go on to, I'm not currently a member on TikTok, so I didn't create an account yet, but I got to the closest primary source that I could. She has a YouTube account called Makeshift Macaroni. So that's as close as I can get. And she says, I'm from TikTok. Her about says, I'm, you know, this is, I'm from TikTok. So if you want to get to the primary source, you know, there you go. But so she's a music teacher. It's going to be self-explanatory. Here is 27 seconds of the hardest that I've laughed in like 10 days. So here you go. Hey, so as some of you guys might know, I'm a music teacher. And I found that one of the best ways that I can process the whole transition to online learning and teaching is to write a song. So I wrote a song. I'd like to share that with you guys now. Here we go. Uh, Ryan, those are my recommendations. (laughs) I'm going to pass it over to you now. (laughs) On that note, the floor is yours. And I I have to say, as as someone who grew up actively trying to memorize all of Les Mis. Oh, really? Uh, I am. I, I love the first recommendation. Had you seen um, and, it before? No. Oh my gosh. No. So Wait until you see the whole thing. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you are in for such a treat. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Uh, but I actually added a recommendation onto my list. Uh, once you started saying that, because it, um, philosophy tube, a YouTube channel, mm. uh, I want to say the most recent video that he did or maybe one previous, focused a lot on pseudo-social relationships. Those kind of imaginary relationships that you have with people that are in media or celebrities or whatever. So it, re- it makes me think of the... Uh, oh, I the, can't wait to The guy from the family. That. That's so fun. That's so fun. Yeah, I, I may have <laughs> so, gotten a little obsessed with the whole family. Yeah, so pseudo-social relationships, very interesting stuff. So it's considering we are in lockdown right now, or at least supposed to be, I'm just going to go with three things that I either thoroughly enjoy or have recently consumed 
and also thoroughly enjoy. So first is the Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, for the PS4 that just came out. I grew up playing the first Final Fantasy VII. Actually, I think I mowed lawns to buy the very first Final Fantasy game. So this has been a long time coming, and it's I, I like it a bit too much, I think, maybe. <laughs> the second thing is actually a pair of Netflix shows. Uh, one is Kingdom, and the other is The Windsors. Both very excellent for very different reasons. Uh, the Kingdom is a zombie drama, so maybe you know if you're trying to stick away from or stay away from pandemics and and uh, the apocalypse, maybe not the best choice right now. But uh, the Windsors is a parody of the British royal family and is absolutely brilliant. And finally, two well, one trilogy and one book. Peter Watts wrote a collection of four books. That's actually a trilogy for weird publication reasons, called the Rifters Trilogy, and it's some really, really good uh, sci-fi that I try to recommend to everybody. And the other is Ted Chiang's Exhalation, which is, again, sci-fi and unbelievably engrossing. Just unreal. Absolutely amazing. So those are uh, those could last you a couple days in quarantine, I guess, all told. Oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm so enjoying this conversation, but I'm also excited to get started on some of this stuff. I I just finished off a show, which I probably won't say because I'll need to save it up for a future recommendation. But <laughs> but I, I went through the whole sixth season in a day and a half. So I'm just looking for something to take my mind off of stuff. And this all looks good. The 30 second video, while I got such delight out of it, 30 seconds doesn't last very long. No. So <laughs> this will take up a little more time. Well, Ryan, I'm so glad to have had this opportunity to talk with you today. And it's been a long time. I'm just excited to kind of have this personal connection. I listen to your podcast. I know that you have listened to teaching in higher ed. So I feel like we both probably have a little bit of that pseudo social relationships, but we also <laughs> engage on Twitter. So it's not completely, you know, that it's made up in our minds. So but it's yeah, just I think it's, it's thoroughly healthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your expertise. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks once again to Dr. Ryan Strait for joining me on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you for those fantastic recommendations that I personally can't wait to get started on. Those of you listening, you'll find those in the show notes. You also can get a look at all of the prior recommendations by going to teachinginhighered.com slash recommendations. They're all there, wonderfully curated for you and clickable links and all that good stuff. So have a look at those and maybe send me a message on Twitter or an email or however you want to get in touch and let me know what things you're recommending. What are you taking in these days that's really bringing you some joy and some life? I know Ryan and I would both love to hear about that. I'll pass anything that you share on to him as well. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.